Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and the founder of, of Alzheimer's Speaks. Uh, before we get started with our show today, which is going to be a great conversation, uh, we have with us uh, Laura Wayman, who is the author of A Loving Approach to Dementia Care, and she is a national expert um, that speaks all over the place uh, regarding her her techniques and uh, her philosophies. We also have Harry Urban and Craig Henke with us, who are both living with dementia, who will be my co-hosts. But before we get into our conversation, you know, people, we're always getting new listeners, so I always tell people a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks. So here's my little blurb here. Um, Bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And Alzheimer's Speaks was really created because of my own experience with my own mother who had dementia for 30 years. Um, Nowadays, we're also known as a media outlet as well because we not only have the radio and the blog and the website and YouTube channels and and do speaking and training, um, but we're really about raising everyone's voice. We believe that the only way we are going to make a difference is to share knowledge and have everyday conversations that that aren't um, you know aren't just sound bites that really come from the heart in order to to change uh, people's beliefs and, and philosophies and understanding of the disease and what people are living with and going through and how we can support them in new ways at our core Alzheimer speaks also believes collaboration is the key to winning the battle against dementia and I know that that's working thanks to each and every one of you you see your likes your clicks your shares um, has an amazing influence on us and it um, it has pushed us out into the sphere and raised everyone's voice that we are raising and it got us acknowledged by Oprah and Dr. Oz and Maria Shriver and I share all those accolades with you because it wouldn't have happened without you. So thank you and um, we really hope that you continue to support um, all of the people that we have here on Blog Talk uh, Radio on Alzheimer's Speaks as well as our, our blog format, um, our YouTube channels, our dementia chats, um, everything that we do because it's not about us as a company, it's about us as a community, uh, a global community working together uh, to bring about change. I also like to um, put the offer out there that if you are interested in being a guest, um, give me a jingle. Go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and up top you'll see a big contact button. And uh, just shoot me an email. I would love to talk with you. Uh, we, we want to hear everyone's story. So if you are a person living with dementia, 
If you are caring for a loved one, maybe you're a business professional, maybe you're a researcher, um, maybe you're an author like Laura, uh, maybe you're a singer, a songwriter, a movie director, you name it, um, we, we want to hear that voice and we would love to hear from you. So again, don't be shy about that. Uh, the other thing people always ask me about, where are you going to be? And so I'm just going to give a shout out to a few places I'm going to be in March. Um, March 6th through the 9th, I'm going to be in Chesterton, um, Indiana, working with their library system. We're going to be doing some previews um, of the movie His Neighbor Feel. It's called The Community Conversation, and you'll be able to find all of these on our homepage at Alzheimer's Speaks. Then I am going to be going down to um, Florida, down to Melbourne, and that'll be mid-March, the uh, March 15th to the 19th, and we are doing a family caregiver conference there. And then towards the end of March, the 26th through the 28th, I will be out in um, Washington for the Northwest Rural Health Conference. And again, you can find information on all of these at alzheimerspeaks.com right on the homepage. A uh, couple more housekeeping things that I want to do uh, before we get to our conversation is to uh, give some kudos out to some companies that I just adore. One is an organization called the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They are dedicated to preventing Alzheimer's disease and um, really are, do a lot with funding of integrative medicine research and providing education and training and out, outreach, including memory screenings as well. They have a holistic approach um, so that you can live the best possible life with dementia. So um, check out uh, Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. You can just go to alzheimersprevention.org. The Call Alert Center is another one of my faves. That is in case somebody might be wandering or have uh, maybe you're worried that they're going to, maybe they haven't yet. You can sign up for the Call Alert Protection and um, be all set and ready if that would come. So you don't have to be digging out pictures and figuring out how tall somebody is. And they do a blast out to a phone system. They work with the police. Um, and not only is this for caregivers, but it's for children and pets and um, college students and people that travel. And it translates languages. It's really cool. And it's very economical. And it just gives everybody a little sound sound of mind there. And then Maria Shriver, of course, I adore her. She has the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, um, which is known as WAM. And she's going to be coordinating again this year the Move for the Minds event, which will take place in June. And more information will be coming out shortly on that, and I will let you know. But you can go ahead and go to the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org um, to find out more information about what all she is doing. It's absolutely fabulous work, and I would highly recommend you sign up for her Sunday paper, which is really inspiring. Um, she's just so open and honest about where she's at as a as a human being and she does these fantastic interviews both video and written on very inspiring people so so check that check that out um Let's get on with our show now. Um, I'm, like I said, very excited today to have Laura Wayman with us. She is known as the Dementia Whisperer. She has dedicated the past 20 years of her life um, 
as an innovative dementia care expert, trainer, and um, consultant. She's also a best-selling author, and um, she's nationally, you know, a nationally recognized speaker. I'm surprised I haven't run across her yet at one of the conferences. Um, she also, um, through her work, provides meaning and purpose to those diagnosed with dementia as well as families and staff um, so that everybody has a deeper understanding of the disease and that allows it, you know, all of us to be able to enhance the quality of life for those we care for and those living with the disease. Um, she has established, um, you know, a process for developing new relationships with friends and family and, and um, support staff all in one. So welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lori. I am so honored to be on this Dementia Journey with you and with your um, other co-hosts today. And I just really am so excited because... As you know, my mission, your mission, uh, all of us in this professional dementia care arena, uh, we need to help the world become dementia aware. That's the only antidote we have right now because there's so many dementia symptoms, causes, challenges that we have that we have no way to stop. If there's change, we can only learn to manage them. And in, in around that, it is so important that we have this kind of platform and I am just, I admire you so much because um, pushing the world through, through blog talk radio, through Alzheimer's Speak, through Live with the Dementia Whisperer, it is a way for us to truly reach out and talk about the most horrific situation medically of our time and ways to give the kind of support and help people understand what dementia is and what it is not and what we can have, so we can have realistic expectations about how we can manage. So um, I, am, I am so honored also to speak with your other guests today because we learn, I, I don't know about you, Lori, I'm sure you feel the same way. I learn something new about dementia every day. It's so vast. We have so many myths that we need to bust. Uh, so, so much we still need to learn about this. Agree, agree. And I'm going to go ahead and pull in my other two co-hosts. I have um, Craig Hankey with us. And Craig, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to our audience, giving them a little background. Hi, my name is Craig Hankey. Um, 58 years old. I was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia three and a half years ago. I'm an advocate for dementia and um, help all people that are studying out with dementia to learn how to live with it. Great. Thanks. And Harry, would you mind um, introducing yourself to our audience as well? Sure. Um, my name is Harry Urban. Uh, I was diagnosed with, um, with Alzheimer's 14 years ago. Uh, I'm a Ambassador for Sentimenta and an ambassador for the Purple Angels. And um, I'm trying my best to help people live beyond their diagnosis. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Laura, I'm going to start with you. I always ask this question to everybody on our show, and that is, have you personally been touched by, you know, family or friends uh, with dementia? Sure. And, Lori, let me start by telling a story of Peggy. Many, many years ago, when Peggy was only 17, she was asked to go to her little town square dance. She arrived that night. There happened to be a guest square dance caller there, a young man by the name of Jack. And so Peggy took one look at Jack, and she turned to her girlfriend and said, Oh, my goodness, that man is so handsome, I'm going to marry that man. And she went up and introduced herself. She was being talking and flirting with Jack throughout the evening, and before the end of that square dance, Jack asked Peggy out on their, on their very first date. They began to date over the next year, fell madly in love, and so on Peggy's 18th birthday, Jack and Peggy eloped. Now, they had a wonderful, magical life together. They had five children of their own, and Peggy also brought in, throughout there, the whole time she was raising her five children, she brought in foster children, and she raised over 20 foster children, all of them with special care needs. Now, she was a food caregiver at heart. When it came time for Jack and Peggy to retire and live their dream lifestyle, they sold their house, bought a little RV, all of the kids were out of the house as young adults, grown, and and off on their own, and so for 15 years, Jack and Peggy lived that retirement lifestyle. Then, unfortunately, over those 15 years, as retired, wonderfully happy individuals, Jack began to show signs and symptoms of dementia. Peggy, being that caregiver at heart, she was very concerned. She understood that dementia could be progressive, get worse over time. So after that 15 years, he was getting so difficult to care for on the road, they sold their RV, bought a little house, and Peggy stepped into the role of being a caregiver for her beloved spouse with Alzheimer's. And as it got worse and worse, she began to struggle, Lori, taking care of him, even though she set up their household and she was that true caregiver at heart, because these dementia symptoms were becoming very difficult for her to manage. She began to talk about how difficult it was with her family, all whom were long distance. They began to beg her to get more help, but there was no help immediately there for her. Then one night, Jack and Peggy were home alone. Peggy had made Jack a wonderful dinner. His dementia was quite advanced. He was confused, disoriented, suffering from many, many challenges with his cause of dementia, Alzheimer's. And that night, they were home alone, and unfortunately, when Peggy sat down to have dinner with Jack, she suffered a massive heart attack. Now, Jack's dementia was so far advanced, it, it, unfortunately, he did not recognize that she needed immediate help, so by the time help arrived, by the time Jack, in his confusion, had said something disorienting to a passing neighbor, by the time help arrived, it was too late. Peggy was gone. Peggy was my mother. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame and the pain emotionally that I felt when I recognized that my mother was so stressed caring for my dad, even though she was brave and tried to do it on her own, that, that it was the primary cause of her heart attack. And you know, 68% of the time when that caregiver doesn't ask for help, just like my mother, they get sick and go first. That's when I realized that we needed to help 
the world become dementia aware, provide the kind of help that these caregivers need, education, support, learn more about how dementia affects not just that dementia sufferer, but the caregiver, the primary caregiver. We all need to come together to provide comfort and relief and support and understand what we can and cannot do with the most horrific illness of our time. So that's how I came into this. That is my mission, to touch every single caregiver, to help them to understand, provide that support, that encouragement, that inspiration. And in that, I've also found that professional caregivers need our help too. We are, are failing in giving them the kind of information, tools, strategies that will help them provide the type of care that those that have dementia need and the type of support that the caregivers needed. Okay. Um, well, that's quite the story. Um, Harry, any comments on that? No, that, 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 is, that, that is a very touching story. I'd I love to hear... I love to hear stories like that because uh, uh, anything we talk about now seems so real. Mm-hmm. How about you, Craig? Any any additional comment? Um, it was a very touching story, um, and unfortunately, you do see that a, a lot where the caregiver um, is in poorer health because of taking care of the person with dementia. Fortunate. Yep. Yeah, it can. It definitely can. Uh, can affect people. Um, so, Laura, who exactly are your clients? It sounds like you're you're kind of like me. You're out to help everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Everyone who is dealing with some cause of dementia. You know, there's over a hundred causes. It's Alzheimer's. There's Lewy body, there's Parkinson's, all of those. So anyone who is experiencing any dementia symptoms from loss of normal brain function, it, it's not just that person, the dementia sufferer themselves, the one that's been diagnosed with the cause. It is also anyone that, that needs to provide them with support and, and love and help them to feel loved, safe, and secure on their dementia journey. And then professionals, like I, like I said, um, if everyone has a basic understanding of dementia, and I mean everyone, when I talk about that, we, we need to help our police force understand that, and our firemen, and um, our waitresses, and um, I heard a wonderful story I can share with you here in a little while about a flight attendant who was dementia aware and helped who was, who was suffering with some dementia symptoms on an on a airplane. I just read an interesting article about some of the airports in the world, including in the United Kingdom. Um, they are becoming more dementia aware. So, you know, that's what we need to do is to help people understand so that we can communicate. And, and I'd like to ask your co-host, what kinds of things would you want people to understand? communicate with you and, and to give you the support that you need. That's what we all need to learn so that we can, just like you're talking about on your radio, so we can speak Alzheimer's, that we can connect in the way that we need to connect. And, and like I said, I learn something new about this every single day. Yeah. Uh, 
Craig, why don't you take that? Um, what would you like to see um, to be for the world to become dementia friendly? Does anything pop out to you? Yeah. Um, number one thing would be that the um, caregivers are educated on what we're going through because there are, there are days where I act and seem perfectly normal, and then there are other days where I'm just in a fog. So educating the caregivers, which both of you do, is, is a great great thing. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is that uh, there could be some training in, like, fast food restaurants or stores um, for people because a lot of times you go to a fast food restaurant and they talk so fast that, you don't even get it. It just goes right over your head. So I had to ask them to slow down and speak more clearly so I can actually comprehend what they're saying. Yeah. Well, in the the Purple Table program, Purple Table Reservation out there is really starting to work on that, too. So I'm looking forward for that that taking off um, and helping. But, um, yeah, helping both families and, and professionals is is real good. Harry, how about you? Is there anything in particular that you'd like to see? I'd like to see people understand what dementia-friendly means. Um, most, most people think dementia-friendly is the same as handicap-friendly. Uh, they're, they're trying to make my life easier for me. But that's, but that's not dementia-friendly. It, it is to a point, but it's not to a point. It's it's the looking into the eyes of somebody that is handicapped, and I'm not handicapped. Um, simple things like like uh, like uh, Greg was saying, like when we when we go out to eat, like say say for breakfast, and all the questions we have to ask before we can even order the meal, like would you like something to drink? Then they give you three four different choices and. And if you say coffee, you still have a couple more choices, decaf, regular, you know, things like that. And they don't realize that they are are frustrating us and causing anxiety in us. So, So even though they make the aisles wider and things like that, that's more or less handicap friendly. Okay. Laura, what are your thoughts on, on their comments? Well, that is, I'm so excited to hear that from your point of view because from, from where I'm observing, the way that I, I like to explain it, and, and I, and I want to be really sensitive to, to how you're going to hear this, is what I, how I explain it to caregivers is that there's so much processing and thinking that we have to do when we receive information, what we hear, what we see, what we talk thousands of pieces of data that we must process and then put into meaning before we can respond. And before we have any cause of dementia, it, it is easy for us to do that because we do it all on auto. But when you're receiving with a cause of dementia and suffering from loss of normal brain function, which is, is exactly what's happening, 
what happens is that you receive the same amount of information, but it just takes you longer to process it because those gears are running slower with some gaps in that process. So if we can learn to speak in a way and give you information, what you hear and what you see, that will help you to process with that slower or, or broken processor, that broken paper, and think more for you, I believe that that will give you the dignity to utilize that broken processor in a way that will make you feel more normal and help us to understand. So I'd like to know if, if that is, is um, an appealing way to to teach, or if there's some way that I could change it that would help people to better understand what's going on, when you walk into a fast food restaurant, they're, they're handing you exactly what you said, too much information, and they need to filter it down so that and give you time to process. Is that basically what you're saying? Craig, do you want to take that first, and then we'll go to Harry? Um, that's exactly what we're trying to say. Um, you put it more eloquently than I did. But, um, yeah, just to, I don't know how we can educate all the restaurants or stores, but there's got to be a way of getting the word out there somehow. Yep. Harry, what are your thoughts? I think people have to realize when you communicate with somebody living with dementia, it's more um, visual than verbal. And um, not only people with dementia, but, but elderly that might be getting a hard of hearing, um, when, when somebody speaks, well, hard of hearing, not because, most of us hard of hearing is because we lose that, that frequency range of that tone of voice. So when when we tell somebody that we're hard of hearing, they they speak louder, and we still can't hear them. But what they have to learn is they have to change. They have to speak maybe deeper. You know, change the pitch of that of of your voice, and we'll be able to hear you perfectly. Little things like that, communicating with somebody with dementia, uh, somebody has to write a book. <laughs> Well, you know, I. Oh, go ahead, Laura. Go ahead, Laura. That's what my book is exactly about because I talk about exactly that. It's not just what we say, it's kind of show and tell. Remember when you were a kid and you might have done some show and tell? It's, it's more about facial expressions, it's, it's about providing more meaning because it's even more, Harry, than what you're talking about, about hearing. Often we make the mistake of thinking that you can't hear us when you have dementia. Sometimes you actually hear it, but there's a lot of processing that has to go on past that point of hearing because right now my words are coming to your ears as sound waves, and then your brain has to go to work processing the sound waves into words, processing those words into meaning. So there's a great possibility that someone, when they have loss of normal brain function in the processing portion of their brain, they may hear it, they may hear the words, but that there's a gap in that processing 
So it feels to them like they're not hearing it, and then others make the mistake of thinking if they say it louder, it's going to help you to process. It doesn't help you to process. What we need to do is get really good at helping you to process by showing you and slowing down and making it more simple and maybe even using some visual cues so that you can utilize all the senses that you still have, the normal brain functions that you still have, to gather the information and find meaning in it. Now, that's hard to teach because it's the opposite of what we do with anything else, just like you were talking about. If someone has a physical challenge, then we can make the aisles wider. We can put them in a wheelchair. We can give them a walker. And so we can accommodate them. What we need to learn for those with, with loss of normal brain function caused by dementia is it's so much more than just stopping, fixing, or changing it, because we can't. It's about learning how to manage to, to allow you to utilize the brain function you still have and to stimulate that and to keep it um, as useful to you as possible. So we need to find the gaps and then really support where that, that brain function still is. And so we have to individualize it. It's like fingerprints. You have a different a different loss than our other co-hosts. And so it is taking the time to do that. And that is a huge challenge that both Lori and I have. There's no cookie-cutter training here. It has to be giving you the dignity and the individualness and the customizingness to you because you're that important. I, I agree. I, I would also like to add in sometimes we overlook the obvious. Um, for example, for hearing, we assume someone doesn't hear. And maybe they just have tuned us out because that's what they used to do. And that's our mode of communication with them. That's kind of our communication style where someone gives somebody the cold shoulder. You know, depending on where they are in the process of the disease, sometimes we overlook the obvious that it's not the disease, it's the personalities. Um, you know, I, I also think in our commercialization um, of the world, you know, we have come to believe and bought into that more is better and more isn't always better. And I can also firmly and confidently say that, you know what, a lot of people <clears throat> don't like all of the choices that we get in the restaurants and that there's 22 salad dressings and that there's 52 beers that you can choose from. It's just too much. And, and most people are not going to remember all of it. And I think a lot of it has to do with just our lifestyle in general. We just are packing too much stuff in our brain, and we're going at such a fast pace. We can't absorb stuff anymore the way I think we used to. I mean, I remember when I used to remember like 100 different phone numbers, probably more than that. And, you know, I can't do that because I don't need to do it because I put it in my phone now. And so it's. I think it's interesting how socially things have changed and and what our expectations are and that we're not we're not reading the nonverbal signs of people when they are showing us that they're an overload you know you lost them after 3 maybe even 2 and you keep going because that's your job and that's how we've been taught 
the task to do is to to give them everything instead of saying, you know, going deeper and being a, a true good salesperson and asking them, you know, questions of what is it that they're looking for, you know, so that you can weed that down and, and you know, save them time and save them process. Um, we've seen to, we seem to have lost that in society. We don't, we don't read nonverbals. We, we just do tasks, but I think we are so much more disengaged than what we once were. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. I, um, and it's not even dementia related. I think it's just a, I think it's an overriding thing that affects dementia even more so. But I went to a store the other day to um, look for an outfit. My daughter's getting married, and everybody told me I had to go to this store by the name of Von Mar. I had never been to it. Um, Didn't have one in my area, so I drove to get to it, and it was incredible service because they looked me in the eye they read my my both my verbals and nonverbals. They walked with me over to the next section instead of pointing and saying it's here. Or if they couldn't walk, they would say, "You see the you know the blue carpet over there." They they purposely sectored things out in their departments so that they could give people pointers if they couldn't go. I mean, it was amazing just the design of the building and the way the staff treated you, and everybody had a smile on their face. It wasn't a job to them, and you could feel that, and you could feel that there wasn't a pressure to act a certain way. They were just there to help you, and and that was so refreshing, and I think that's something we need to to bring back into um, society at large, but our but our care culture as a whole, is to get out of our own ways and start connecting with people on a deeper, more personal level instead of it just being a task and checking it off our list. And Laura, I'll let you respond to that one. I so agree with that. Um, I have to say that part of my training when I'm working with with those that are trying so desperately to understand dementia is the part of the of that human that that we all exist as human the part of human existence is our feelings and emotions remain for for example Lori how does that service make you feel you felt wonderful and I'm going back and I'm telling everybody (laughs) you know remain even when we lose in in any with any cause of dementia the brain function of processing those feelings and and reasoning and um, all of the other parts of our brain that are the logic logical parts the emotions and feelings are going to remain so anytime we have a care approach whether we're dealing with someone with a healthy brain or someone who has some challenges with a cause of dementia we all want to make that person feel loved, safe, secure, and valued. And when we get them there, that it's all about Maya Angelou's quote, people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And it's learning to do that with everyone in our life, everyone. And, and mm-hmm. when we get to that, we can bring it into the whole dementia care arena and and um, 
so hard because we train our professional care staff in memory care. We train them in task delivery. And task mm-hmm. delivery is important, but it's not the most important part of dementia. Yep. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, Harry, your thoughts? Yep. I um, what one of my one of my biggest complaints is though people want to learn about about dementia, so they grab a book and they read about it, and they know everything there is about dementia. And I say, I always tell them, if you want to learn about dementia. Talk to someone that's living it. That's where you get. That's where you get the true emotions of living with this disease. Agree. It, agree. It's uh, your voice is so powerful, and people realize that. And that's one of the things I love when we do our dementia chats, which. Um, is that, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Laura, but we I interview people with dementia on a video platform, and and people are just shocked because they can't they can't look and pick out who's got dementia, you know, and they're amazed at the insights that they have and the passion and um, how well they're living life, and um, you know just the the um, the recommendations they have for changes uh, are are just mind-boggling to so many and um i i think we need we need more of of their voices um along along with the rest of us to work together to really find find a a great way now i want to <clears throat> i i've kind of got us off on on tangents here but that's what we do here on talk <laughs> our talk radio show but i <clears throat> but i want to make sure that i get a couple other questions um that i i found important that i wanted our listeners to know and you know you had your book published by john hopkins university and it's called a loving approach to dementia care making meaningful connections with the person who has alzheimer's disease or other dementia or memory loss and it's in its second edition and first i have to thank you and john hopkins press for um, donating books for our dementia-friendly cruise we did. They were so appreciated. I got so many comments of, of people finding the value in your book and wanting to to pass it along to others um, once they were through um, sharing it with other friends. But can you tell our audience, how does the information in your book, how is it going to help readers overcome kind of practical and emotional obstacles to, to better connect with those that they're caring for. Well, I feel, Lori, that what what I've done is is really studied from the inside out what I believe it might feel like to have loss of normal brain function and watched as I struggled to make connections with in, in many different arenas. I've been an executive director of a memory care. I've been... I've owned a very successful in-home care company on the professional front. Of course, I've, I'm, it's very relatable to me because I was a daughter, a caregiver. Uh, I lost my mom because she was, she was the primary caregiver for my dad. And so um, I spent a lot of time really focusing on trying to understand what it is we're missing here and why it is not working. Why are we so challenged with 
providing the type of care for someone with dementia and also providing the support necessary for the caregivers who are also trying to take that step to, to give the appropriate care to a loved one, client, patient, resident, whatever the situation. So I started doing presentations and trainings and as I was doing them and becoming more and more dementia aware myself and realizing how much there was to learn about this and how much we don't know, people started coming up to me and saying, why don't you write a book? This is just really great information. I've never heard it described this way. You're, you helped me to understand dementia in a way that no one else could. And so I decided to write the book and base it. The book is laid out so that I'm sharing how I learned from observing each different person individually and their situation and, and the caregiver's situation, and then writing a story about lessons learned and perceptions. And so my book is unique in the way that it talks about how it's individual like a fingerprint, how I learned that dementia, that experience is different for everyone, and that we have to be fluid and flexible because it will change in the blink of an eye. It can be a very long, long care journey. It can be averages anywhere from 2 to 20 years. And as you were co-hosts talking about today, it can be a very slow progression. And yet uh, other people it could be very fast. And so by writing the book, it opened my eyes to the fact that we still don't know so much about it, and we can continue to learn. And so my care approach is different in the fact when I go into a memory care facility, for example, and I'm doing a training for the staff, I train the leadership, I train the staff, and I train the family members as well. I train the community, just like I talked about. We invite firemen, policemen, emergency room doctors, Nurses. I just did a great presentation for the Association of Operating Room Nurses in Orange County. Everyone needs to have this understanding so that we can tailor as a society, as, as you talk about, as a purple angel, we can tailor this, customize, and provide the type of support that is necessary for everyone involved. And so that's what that's why my care approach is different. It's not different from yours, Lori, because you are doing the same thing. We have the same vision. But it's different from someone who is just going in and training the staff. If this happens, then you do this. It, 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 it's more th thinking out of the box and, and providing um, proact a proactive approach um, and helping the family to understand and building a team because it takes a whole village. Um, making sure that the whole village is, is ready to to put their shoulder to the wheel. That's yeah. I I, is, is different. Well, and I love in the book that you do have the story and then you have the lessons and then you have um, some perceptions and, and approach approaches for them to be able to use. And I, I love that you're talking with everyone. Uh, I know when I got into this, realm um, back in 2009 everyone said you have to pick a lane you got to pick a niche are you going to you know 
talk to the professionals? Are you going to talk with the doctors? Are you going to talk with family caregivers? Are you going to, you know, who's your audience going to be? And I said, it's going to be everybody. And they're and and they're going to be in the same room so that they can hear what each other is saying because they're all part of the wheel. And um, we learn so much from one another. And so it's, I think it's just absolutely incredible to get those conversations being had or to, you know, if you can't get them all in the same room, to teach them all the same thing at the same time so everybody's on the same page. Um, to me, that's just a common sense approach and in, in why it's not done more. I, I really, I, I don't understand it. I really don't because we, we end up making more problems by not sharing knowledge with everybody. Um, and it, it complicates things, I think. Don't, don't you think so, Laura? I absolutely do. And, and a lot of times one of the problems I will ask if I'm going into a, a memory care organization I'll say, what is your biggest challenge? You know what they tell me is they say retention of the staff. And mm-hmm. I turned to them and I said, that's your fault because you were throwing them out on the floor without giving them a proper understanding of what they can and cannot do, and you're setting them up to fail when in two hours we can change their perspective and empower them to, to really connect with that person. Why are we not doing that? And, you know, a lot of times that's where we don't have the money. Well, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand that. You're trying to, you, you keep running into the same challenges um, because you're not, you're refusing to change your care approach. It's really that simple. Well, and part of it is where they, where they budget their money to is really interesting because um, so many companies will do marketing events that are educational to not their employees, but to everybody else, all, you know, because in big old, the CEUs, we want, we want to be able to give them CEUs, we'll get a crowd. What is that crowd doing? You know, what good is that crowd doing you if they're not working for you? You know, why are you spending your money educating other people? Why not put it into your organization so your organization is the one people want to come to? They see the differentiation that you're making in terms of of a quality work environment um, and the education and the the responsibility and the creativity that you've got going within your community. You know, it's it's not being leveraged. It's like, well, we've always done it that way. Well, maybe it's time to rethink that model. You know, if if you're going to use it as a recruiting angle that's a whole different thing but that's not what i'm seeing out there i think they tell themselves that's what it is but it's not it isn't and it's so challenging what you are talking about lorraine it's so has so much power to it is building a dementia friendly community and so when i'm in front of family members let's just say i'm at an organization uh, um a, a assisted living memory care organization i say everyone needs to be dementia aware and I, what I tell that CEO is, you want me to stand there and tell the, these family members that, that everyone needs to be dementia aware, then I better be able to say, I have trained your staff to also be dementia aware. And if I can't come in and do that, then it's not the same powerful message. And yep. so that's 
the only way often I can get past the point, yes, I will come in and do, I, I want to share my information with the community, with the family members, with everyone, but I want to be able to tell them that we're all in this together, including the staff, so that everyone mm-hmm. is on the same page. Yeah. Well, and, and pulling in the families and educating them um, is so critically important because that community can learn so much from them. I remember when my mom was placed and, and they're like, well, it was in that packet we gave you. I'm like, that packet was so thick. And I was so overwhelmed with, you know, I had both my parents in a nursing home, my dad with a brain tumor, my mom with dementia. Um, I mean, it was it was like crazy making time. And it's like, I don't have time to read through and dissolve all this stuff. You know, there's a much better way to disseminate this information than just plopping it, it was somebody all at one time or... Um, working with the families and, and people with dementia to find out what the true needs are, what their true wants are, you know, it's it, it, it empowering them to feel part of the team instead of sometimes there's this animosity. If you hear somebody's voice coming down the hall, everybody kind of goes and hides because they don't know how to engage. Um, they, they don't know how to, you know, educate, um, even just sharing moments of joy so many times aren't allowed because people can't have cameras, you know, because they're worried they're going to get sued. Um, so we can't share those moments of joy with family. And then we're not sharing that with our quality assurance people when they come in and survey us. Those things aren't being documented in a way that are going to be that are going to change policy and help them see the light that that the engagement should override the task itself. You know, and it has to be adaptable, and it's the outcome that matters, not the task itself. I mean, granted, there's things that have to be done, but there's, you know, there's more than one way to to do a math problem. There's more than one way to to give care as well. Um, I can't pass this out. Harry, I'm sure you have some comments on this. Yes, I do. My uh... My training is is a lot different than most. In fact, uh, uh, within the next hour or two, I'm going to be picked up and and I'll be going into the Lancaster General Health Campus to to talk to newly diagnosed uh, patients of dementia. And during these talks, uh, we we usually have an audience of of uh, maybe forty fifty newly diagnosed patients, but. When I when I speak, I don't speak academically. I don't speak about the disease. I don't talk about nutrition or uh, things like that. My my talk is basically giving hope to these people. Um, now these forty fifty people recently got got uh, handed a diagnosis what they think is a terminal disease. It's it's a death sentence. They're scared to death. And to be honest with you, their doctors don't talk to them. And if they go to a they go to a dementia seminar, and somebody's speaking academically and giving statistics and stuff like that, they don't want to hear that. They they want to know about the fears they have, and and that's the teaching I do. I lived it. I know how to do it, and I can set an example for them. 
I can give them hope. And that that's that's why I think if somebody's going to if somebody's going to teach about dementia, they have to keep in the back of the mind hope. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. And I, I love you know, I love talking the people's language in the everyday um uh, just everyday piece of life. Um it's it's, I think, what powers like the memory cafes and, and so many other conversations is, you know, coming down to what are people's true needs and what are their what are their understandings and what's important to them. And not that the, the academic stuff in medical jazz isn't important, but I think so many just want to know how do I live graciously with this disease? And um, and I think you're right. I think a lot of those those answers aren't being found. Laura, what are you seeing? Uh, I see I I see that a lot too. And I love to see kind of a marriage of that clinical medical knowledge with a marriage for those physicians when when the family members when those that are diagnosed ask the questions. If they don't have the medical answers, the clinical answers, that they allow that person to, um, they they talk to their feelings, just like Harry's Harry's really um, so eloquently expressing. You know, those those can learn to do that as well. They can they can get good at it, and um, it, it's a matter of them wanting to have that bedside manner, which is is not exactly the way I wanted describe this, but really they should, um, what I've said often, and, and many family members agree, and I do have some neurologists here that do this, if that family member comes in and, and they brought their loved one who's exhibiting dementia symptoms and they get the diagnosis of what's causing it, that neurologist could hand them my book and say, this is for you, this is the treatment for you because you are now a team. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, you need to understand dementia from the emotional side and and how this person might be feeling and how you can support them and how you might be feeling and allowing these feelings to to be expressed and processed and supported. That's, I think that, and Harry, I I think that's what you're expressing. Yeah, it it depends on the audience. Like if I'm, if I'm speaking to uh, people living with the disease, I give them hope. I give them that speech. If I'm talking to to care partners, it varies a little bit. Now, if I'm speaking at a seminar or, or a conference or something like that, it might be more academic. But uh, I I try to I try to taper my speeches into what my audience. What what they're going to benefit out of it? Like when I like the 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 talk I get today, uh, I start out by saying I can't give you medical advice, I can't give you financial advice, I can't give you legal advice. Uh, I'm just not trained and qualified to do that. Now, what that does is that eliminates somebody asking me all kind of questions about medication. Mm-hmm. And even though I have a pretty good solid. Um, Training a background on that, I'm not a doctor. You know, I always tell them, talk to your doctor. 
Yeah, exactly. Craig, any any comments on this? Like, we've got about four minutes left. I can't believe how fast the hour's gone. <laughs> um, I would just echo their thoughts in in the, in the way that when you see the neurologist, they they tell you that you have this disease, and I hear this from other people as well as myself experiencing it. But they tell you you have this disease, you have so many years to live. Here's some pills. I'll see you in three months. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what all you get out of these neurologists. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have a working with a psychiatrist that his bedside manner is a lot better than a neurologist in that as far as explaining things to you and how that's how it's going to work, how the disease is going to progress. So they give you a little more information, but the, the neurologists themselves, I think, need to be trained in how to. Um, Say to the patient what's going to be what's going to happen to them, and and give them like Harry said, give them some hope that there is some life to live after you've been diagnosed. Sure, sure, great. Um, Laura, why don't you um, tell people you know you've got a, a great website um, that people can go to, but you have a lot of different things besides just your book. So why don't you tell them in just a couple of minutes what what types of resources you have for them. I would love to share that. Um, along with my book, A Loving Approach to Dementia Care, I also have my new DVD that just came out this year. It's called The Encyclopedia of Dementia Care. There's a version for family caregivers, and then there's a version for professional caregivers. There are um, volumes 1A through L, and so there'll be more to come. But it talks about, um, of course, a loving approach to dementia care, but becoming dementia aware and common myths and the journey is always personal. There's several testimonies um, talking about different kinds of dementia journeys and, and how it affects the different kinds of caregivers that, that are out there. Um, and knowing dementia, is, it takes practice to change our, our habits, so it's talking all about that. Of course, I do have many different trainings that that I can provide um, different packages. Um, I, I go, I travel all over. I can provide CEs through the California Board of Nursing, through the Washington State Board of Nursing. Um, I, I can provide RCFE, which is Residential Care Facility Administrator's License. I can provide CEs for that. So there's all different kinds of strategies, and, and like Carrie's talking about, different audiences, different um, ways of, of sharing this knowledge. And um, I have my website. You can email me. I have blogs. I answer every one of my emails, um, everyone personally. I get hundreds a day. Uh, so there's all these tools. I provide con- consultations with family members one-on-one or family groups. I can do that via Skype across the United States. I can do that here locally in person. And I'm here in the Northern California region, but I travel all over the United States because I believe, along with Lori and this wonderful show, that it is really our responsibility to become dementia-aware. We need to be that dementia-aware, that dementia-friendly army that we help everyone who is being touched by this disease, and, and everyone will be if you're not yet. Wonderful. And your website they can go to is just uh, com. That's L-A-U-R-A. W-A-Y-M-A-N dot com, or you can email Laura at help 
at laurawayman.com. That's health at laurawayman.com. And um, she also has a radio show called Live with the Dementia Whisperer on Blog Talk Radio, so you can check that out as well. I thank you all so much for being with us today and really appreciate your time. In closing up, I just wanted to remind our audience that um, the Neuro Film Festival, uh, March 2nd, is the deadline to submit your video for that uh, festival if you'd like. I'd also like to give a shout out to the American Senior Magazine. They're just a fantastic addition in helping people stay engaged through activity and wonderful articles large print um, and um, great photography. And don't forget about the Memory Cafe directory. You can just go to memorycafedirectory.com to find the closest Memory Cafe to you. Talk soon, everyone. Bye now. Lots of channels. Nothing to watch especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.